This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Dunedin Youth Council radio show. This is the second and final part of our interview with Maya, Becky and Will from the Youth Advisory Group um, on Mental Health to do with the the Southern DHB. We We left the last session we're on a note of control and what feel that feeling of kind of being in control of your surroundings and of, of where you are can affect your well-being like positively and kind of another way that I think maybe um your well-being and that feeling of control can be enhanced is through actually reaching out and um and establishing a support network outside your friends and family and within the system and the structures that are already there um what kind of what kind of experience have you three had with those the existing mental health system and those support frameworks? Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I could go first. So, um, with me, my biggest experience with the mental health system was back a couple of years ago now, back when I was in high school. That was when I was diagnosed with anorexia, and anorexia is one of those mental illnesses. Is I feel like it's quite overstigmatized, um, and there's a lot of misconception around it. Um, a lot of people believe that it's really just, you know, young girls just wanting to be skinny, but it's a lot more than that. And to be honest, anorexia is one of those mental illnesses where it's when you take control a bit too far. So as much as being a human and you like to be in control of your situations, um, when you feel like you're out of control of yourself or your surroundings, that's when you start to have kind of extreme control over one aspect in your life. And then for anorexics, it just happens to be food. And then you have this intense gain, um, fear of weight, weight gain. And then obviously that negatively affects your mind um, and your physical health. And, you know, you can end up dying. It is the mental illness with a, the highest mortality rate. Um, but I guess with me, with my experience with the mental health system is I was really lucky. Um, I got put into treatment quite early after I was diagnosed and I had a really awesome therapist and I've heard of many people who haven't had um, as good therapists but she was she was great she really helped me through and then it was about finding um, control kind of in other ways when I went to therapy because we talked a lot about how because I am a bit of a perfectionist by nature Um, And we were trying to target other ways I can kind of control my surroundings other than food to say maybe motivating myself more to work in academics or maybe just motivating myself to go actually out more and see my friends. Um, Like I don't have to be so controlling over what I eat all the time. Um, And yeah, so I I did do weekly therapy for about a year and a half um, and it helped immensely. Um, and yes, it was just, it was amazing just what therapy could do for me, quite honestly. And it's just kind of talking about the rationales about my thinking and, um, other ways for me to think about food and how I view the world and how I view myself as well. Cause I had quite a low self-esteem and I don't really have that anymore. I'm quite confident now. Um, but yeah, so that's my experience. If you have questions feel free to ask I can't don't know if I answered whatever the question was but. I think you did um yeah. out of curiosity how did you how did you find yourself um 
how was how was that help and how was that care accessible to you? Um, so for me, how I got into the system was it is one of those things where it is really sad that I got into the system because I was quite unwell. Um, and I wasn't quite in denial about being unwell for a long time. And a lot of people were saying it, but I didn't believe that I needed help. And then I remember one day I just I was in the kitchen and I was looking at my mother and she was sitting in the lounge just right next to the kitchen. And I was like, mom, I think I need help because I was having a mental breakdown about eating rice. And I was like, mom, I think I actually do need help. because I was just so sick of it at that point. And I was so sick of my sick of my thoughts and just how I was feeling around food. And it's it's kind of different to say. I don't want to say being compared to an alcoholic, but I guess you could always kind of give up alcohol. Whereas with food is something you can't give up. You have to learn to live with it and how to kind of cope with it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I went to the doctors with my mom and they took all my measurements and I talked to the doctor a bit. Um, and he, he definitely knew that something was up. I was quite physically unwell. And then he um, referred me to the Central Regional Eating Disorder Clinic, and that's in the Hutt Valley um, up in the Wellington region. Um, but even then, even though I was still critically unwell, I still had to wait about a month to actually see any treatment, which is quite fast in comparison to other people, but obviously probably not fast enough for some. A month, a lot can happen in a month. Like I did de deteriorate a bit more in that um, time frame. Um, but yeah, so that's how I got the care accessible to me was just kind of through the doctor. Um, but again, it's quite sad that I had to be so unwell to be seen and I still had to wait a month. Um, whereas there could be other people who are spiraling down and they want to be seen earlier, but they can't because they're not that unwell. Um, and I do find that quite sad. Um, and it needs to be changed. There needs to be a lot more preventative measures. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that I think that timing thing has been um probably one of the most common criticisms I've heard about the mental health system anywhere um but I guess within we're operating within a New Zealand context um and that kind of often um disbalance uh, unbalanced disbalance what's the right word um in terms of the the speed at which help is is given and and at what position you're at um, yeah, definitely. Yourself? Yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a friend of mine and I know that she also had an eating disorder and she couldn't be seen for, I think, about six months because she wasn't bad enough and quote unquote bad enough. Um, although she was definitely spiraling down that path and she was still having really negative thoughts about herself and around food. Um, and to me, that was really sad and I felt really bad for her. And she did end up getting admitted eventually. Um but again, it took months and months for her to get um, the right treatment and care to help with her thoughts around food and yeah. um, herself. Becky, Will, where do you feel, how do you feel about this idea of like bad enough to warrant getting help? Because of course, um, as with anything, there is like a, a, a scale, at least from my understanding, in terms of um, where your your mental state is at. Um, but this idea of, you know, bad enough, you're not bad enough to warrant the this care is a very common kind of dismissal that I found. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
everyone in terms of their own mental health is entirely different. There is no playbook kind of like regular uh, medical stuff where there's just kind of like, oh, I've got a cold, just sit at home for a couple of days, it'll come right. There is no playbook that applies to everybody here. Um, everybody's version of bad enough is different. It is variable. Um, personally, I, I don't know heaps about the system, but um, if someone believes that they're bad enough and they need, they do think they need that assistance and it's otherwise just going to get worse and worse and worse as time goes on. There needs to be some kind of measures in place to try and assist them in every possible way to get that help that they need. Because otherwise, it's just going to get worse. It's going to start affecting the people around them. And it, it just doesn't end good for anybody. <clears throat> so given, given that individualized um, nature of it and that it doesn't, um, mental health doesn't really fit into a rubric that you can kind of grade and tick boxes and mark necessarily always, um, what do you think would be a way a way around that or a solution to these to these long periods of time that you're having that the system as it is is having people wait um what would what would be a possible solution to that to be honest i don't i don't actually know i don't think there is one um it's just we need to try and be as accommodating as possible and make sure in some way that people can receive their help I don't have all the answers. I don't know what exactly is wrong or how we can fix everything. But... We need more psychologists. Yep. Basically. <laughs> Not enough at all. <laughs> more people, more care. Definitely. Becky, you've been very quiet. Do you have anything to contribute? <laughs> yeah, I think there is sort of this perception by young people into society, and I don't really know where it's coming from that idea of you know being bad enough um and because you know sort of mental illness I guess it is more subjective than objective really you know like Will said you can't be like okay tick 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 I've got a cold okay this is the treatment for it um but I think if someone's coming forward saying that you know their mental health is impacting their life I think that should be considered bad enough quote unquote to you know to be worthy of some help and to warrant some help um because I know for me personally um like Maya was saying I kind of was in denial of how ill I was and it was actually about two years before like in the time that I noticed between when I first started getting sick and when I actually got help for it and in those two years things just got worse and worse and worse by the time that I was asking for help I was at you know a really bad place and so the I guess the longer you wait it's kind of the longer it's going to take you to recover which I think is another problem um you know the longer young people are waiting the sicker you're getting the longer it's going to take you to recover um, yeah, no, I totally, sorry to cut you off, but um, <laughs> no, that's okay. like we're learning, um, uh, cause I do neuroscience. So we learn a lot about neuronal co- connectivity and stuff like that. And, um, when you have connections in your brain, so we have a lot of circuits going around in our brains. And when we wire our brain enough times in a certain circuit and frequently enough, then that kind of becomes our go-to kind of circuit that our brain uses to think about things. So, for example, so like the longer you're in a mental illness, um, 
the harder it is to kind of pull yourself out of it because your brain is so used to just thinking about those spots that you have because it's just so hardwired in our circuits in our brain. Um, and then like goes walking into, a track in like grass so much that the grass stops growing and then you're kind of always just walking in the same yeah, track. Yeah, you're just always walking and you, it's so hard to get away from that track. Um, so yeah, it's, it's honestly is just a lot when... Like when it comes down to your brains, just your neurons and all that, like it's just what we're hardwired to think. Um, and the longer we think that way, um, the more stronger those circuits are going to be. So we just automatically think those thoughts and it's just so hard to break out of. Um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, it's, it's strange the things you can kind of piece together and realize why we think these things and then why it's so hard to kind of come out of those thoughts. Um, yeah, yeah I and I also sense. think it's really it's significant something that Becky said earlier around, you know, by the time that somebody is actively asking for help, um, it's often it, it's often already gone rather far. Um, yeah, because because Definitely. do you think that's because possibly of all of the stig stigmatization, all of the stigmas around around mental health illnesses and around um around that we have to be okay yeah I mean for me personally I I think I just was not aware at all about mental illnesses like I was like there's no way I have anorexia I'm like those are all the girls like you see who are super super skinny and just you know just are in the hospital and just skin and bone um and I was like there's no way that I can have that and that's why I was in denial about it for so long and um, I think it was, yeah, just, it's just a lot about the mental health awareness. It was really not prevalent back when I was a teenager. So I just didn't really know much about it. Um, but yeah, there was also that stigma of like being okay. People would always ask me if I was fine because they knew something was up. And I would just say, I'm okay. Like, leave me alone. I'm fine. Um, because yeah, everyone expected, because you want everyone to believe that you're fine. Um, because it is a social thing. Um, there is that stigma around being okay. Yeah. Um, and Will, as the youngest of as the youngest of you three, the one who's still in high school, um, what have you found around that that stigmatization and the, the need to always be, yeah, okay, or dismissive of anything that's going on that isn't okay? I mean, yeah, I know in high school, um, like I mean, for me personally, I've never really felt the need or the urgency to go see a therapist or go get mental assistance in some way but I've found myself in a situation I've actually been able to have to help people who are in these situations um but what I've found with all these people that have um come to me looking for help is that they can't actually be themselves they feel the need to put on a mask and pretend to be someone they're not um yeah. like pretending to be happy pretending to be all good um, pretending that absolutely nothing's wrong and that uh, just pushes them down that path that makes things worse because until they yeah like Becky was saying until they get help it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and because of that stigma they're not actually coming out and seeking that assistance and it's yeah and this it's not idea good. of like putting on kind of a, a person suit or like a front or, or a mask I think as well that that can only um accelerate the or deteriorate I guess your own feelings of like 
self-worth or something that yeah. because there's that disconnect between what you're presenting as and and how you're actually feeling is that does that fit with your experiences well yeah yeah it, it does it kind of yeah kind of in a way yeah um people do um feel the need to like kind of um not sure if this is really related but it's kind of they feel the need to kind of put on a mask about themselves and stick to it um, like whatever they assign themselves to be, they just kind of have to, they feel the need to act that way, regardless of the situation. Um, not sure if that's really related, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all interconnected. You got, you got the brain waves coming from brain waves, brain wires coming from Maya. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't study neurology, neurology, <laughs> neuroscience, neuroscience, neuroscience. Um, <laughs> No, and that as well, that, that, that idea of connectedness and the way the, um, what's happening internally connects to what's happening externally and that it's all, um, it, it's not as segregated as I think it um, once used to be considered. Um, how have you noticed that kind of breakdown of that segregation of um, kind of inside versus outside, internal versus external um, has that been broken down within the system within the past couple of years that you've noticed, Becky? Um, I guess I think within the system it has, and also on social media, I think is really coming up that sort of like, you shouldn't be underestimating the physical impacts of mental illness. Um, like I saw a really great post the other day, just like, um, you know, if you're fine, you're struggling with your mental well-being, treat yourself as if you're, you know, you have the flu or like you have a physical illness, like take at least a day or two to yourself, you know, nap if you need to, make sure you're getting enough sleep, drink like frequent sips of water and things like that. And it just sort of made me think, I was like, actually that kind of thing can probably really help when you're having a bad mental health day, just kind of focusing on those really basic physical health things can you know, significantly improve how you're feeling at the time. Um, if only physically, you know, it can't necessarily help with how you might be feeling mentally. But if you're treating sort of doing what you can, I think, for your physical health is important and will probably help your mental health in the long run as well. Well, and I guess as well, um, those, those everyday tasks could as well be a bit of a distraction. Mm. Maybe yeah, like I think that, me, having that routine. <laughs> yeah, like for me, I really thrive off routines and um, just being productive most days, not every day, because obviously you need a break every now and then. Um, but yeah, I feel like if I didn't have, like I really work well with having goals and just doing, setting out my day to kind of achieve those goals. Um, and I feel like that just gives me kind of a sense of purpose and something to kind of focus on because for me, personally and how my brain is wired I always like to focus on something um so if I have a goal to focus towards whether it's just academics or um I don't know maybe going for a run and just running a bit longer than I usually do then um it just gives me something to focus on and it makes me it makes me feel really proud to do something that in my daily routine and so like every day is like little achievements you know um and that's just how I get through my day and yeah a lot of it's surrounded by routines um but obviously, sometimes I got a break routine. Um, I like going out with my friends, and some days I have I do nothing. I just watch Netflix all day. But then I tell myself that's okay too, because 
you know it's about all about having that right balance I guess it's a balance between relaxing and then appreciating the little accomplishments and then appreciating the big accomplishments when they come around exactly yeah yeah um so what kind of just because I'm I'm aware of the time constraint what kind of support networks are there locally here in Deneen? Mm. <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I feel like there's so many advertisements for many different health um health helplines or something like that, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of the reviews that you get from them are just not the greatest. Like for university, we have student health and there's a lot of controversy around student health and how they manage their students. Um, and then there's also there's some text line you can text. What's it? 174? Yeah, I think, what was it, Becky? You tried that and you had a pretty bad experience with that. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I can't say I've had the best experiences with that number. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, it's advertised everywhere. Like in all all my lectures, um, they're starting to put up like it's okay not to be okay. Here's some um numbers you can call if you're not feeling okay. And I was looking at all, I was just looking at all of them and I'm like, uh, I, I don't know like what the rapport is around those lines and whether they actually work or not. And sometimes it's, you know, if you call one of them, those lines up and they just don't help you, it, it, it'll probably just make you worse because you're like, right, even this helpline can't help me. Like, who do I go to now kind of thing? Um, I mean, I think, so. I think as well, perhaps it's a little bit of a, of again a balance between that for example take that 1737 number I haven't always had the the best experiences with that number and people I know neither um but then it's still also something more than nothing yeah and so where is that um where is that kind of line to when you're when you're needing some kind of support that you're not getting from your friends and family and you're needing something else um where do you go and I guess that's a that's an okay starting point or, yeah. or would there be any other that you would recommend? I guess my advice kind of around this is if what you're finding isn't working for you to just keep looking, you know, not to like there is the like 1737 and the numbers that are sort of, you know, advertised everywhere and things like that. But there is a lot of different things out there and I'm sure you can find something that works for you. It does kind of require a little bit of extra work, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, but, you know, there are a lot more, say, like helplines than that, or you can go to websites to get more information on things if that's something that's going to help you having, like, a greater understanding of what's going on for you um, or, like, apps you can use to support your well-being, um, even, you know, in collaboration with maybe a professional such as your GP or a mental health professional I'd say not to be afraid of like bringing up those sort of things anything you find that might be helpful for you to bring that up with the people around you and be like hey this is I think this is helping to support me um so can you help me to use this like going forward in my journey kind of thing I think that um, fear is so is so prominent and is so is so frightening in and of itself because it it can be such a great um such a great barrier and and we are having to wrap up this this session 
but I think ending on like that that kind of hopeful note of of keeping looking is quite valuable and quite important. I don't know. Does anybody <laughs> else have anything add, else to add? Um, just just yeah, just real quickly. Um, sometimes it's not even advice that people are looking for when they're wanting um mm-hmm. like assistance with their mental health. Sometimes all they need is just someone to talk to, someone that will just listen. Mm-hmm. They don't even need to have all the answers. They just need to be there and like actively show support for people. Um, sometimes the like the one seven three seven, since you can't see their faces or something, like it just doesn't it doesn't quite work out. Um, same thing with therapists, maybe. Um, like they can sometimes be a little cold faced and something. People feel like they don't really get the sense of belonging. But when people actually do express their care um sometimes that's all people need to get through and that's honestly the best give give one of the best gifts that someone can give so yeah <laughs> so well said that that yeah that <laughs> completely agree human <laughs> empathy connection is you know you can talk about all of the um the the numbers and the figures and the intellectual ways that we connect but often it's that um it's maybe that that empathetic and emotional connection that we really need well thank you three very much for for joining us on this session thank you there's so much more to talk about but, um, <laughs>